Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley. And my name is Jay Swords. This is the podcast segment of the show that's not broadcast on station KALA. Our guest for this 404th show is Dr. William Meadows, head of the Missouri State Native American Studies Committee. And we're going to be talking about the Code Talkers legacy. Our history buffs are Ed Broders and Rick Sweet. Rick, why don't you start us off? I will do that, Jay. Uh, Bill, uh, really enjoyed your article uh, on the Code Talkers legacy. Um, Really good reading. Uh, Thank you. You you made a comment in that, uh, a few paragraphs in that article, about some of the, uh, we don't call it, we didn't call it racism back in in the uh, 40s, but uh, the Code Talkers uh, really were not, uh, they weren't treated as well as, the American white soldiers. Uh, am, am I reading your article wrong in that regard? Well, after the war, uh, the the treatment inside the Corps, most of them speak very, very highly of it, like like the Navajos I'm talking about now. Uh, and then the Comanches in the Army, um, you know, they, they mentioned it like it was more just like an individual that was difficult, uh, but they sure. said they didn't. They were not treated badly at all. Now, after the war, there were still issues, particularly with uh, some states would not sell alcohol to Native Americans, and so you know you you, you couldn't go into a bar and get a drink. It, whereas in service, it, it didn't matter. You know, you just went into the PX or wherever, and and you know, or, or clubs and everything. Um, now. Out west, particularly um, with the Navajo, New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah, they still would not let Indians vote uh, after World War II. And so that got taken into some court battles, and New Mexico and Arizona got got settled in 48, and then Utah was the last state in 54 uh, to allow Indians to vote. So there were issues like that, uh, particularly after the war and everything. But most of the men told me, though, that they were uh, very, very well treated in service, you know. Okay. Ed. And, and there's actually like, you know, there's actually kind of a, they call it part of kind of like the uh, – uh, Indian Scout Syndrome, but they said a lot of guys, once they realized they were natives, they kind of had like um, stereotypical, you know, appreciation or kind of admiration of them. You know, the idea that they're natural born warriors and, you know, can see farther at night, sure. uh, walk more quietly, all this. And, and said, you know, they dealt with a lot of that, but um, all of them were called chief and everything. But most of them told me, they said, you know, we just kind of took it that in stride, you know. And uh, now with the Navajo, I have a, another manuscript that's under review now and it's looking at cases where they were mistaken as Japanese and captured by fellow American troops <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because there, there are a lot of phenotypical similarities between Japanese and, and some Native Americans um, but the minute that they were vouched for and identified there was no longer any issue and so it was really more of mistaken identity than it was uh, clearly like a race thing. You know? Sure, sure. Um, and then some of them even said like guys offered to carry the radio equipment and, and stuff like that, you know. Um, but that's uh, uh, that was a really interesting experience. But there's a, there's a lot of minorities in World War II that had never been in face-to-face interaction and could not tell one another apart. Okay. Sure. Ed. Yeah, um... This system worked um, 
as well as could have been hoped for or better. Um, did the Allies use it in Korea? And even by the time Vietnam came along, they were still pretty much living with radio communications. Um, yeah. Why would you not use? Why would you not continue a good thing? Um, I, I struggled with that question for a number of years, and uh, there is a, I think it was called the ASAM-7 model. Between 45 and 50, we made some really um, advances in, in communication equipment, and by 1950, the ASAM-7 could encrypt so well that we didn't have to worry about it anymore. And um, so I, I have heard a few references saying that Indians were used in Korea. However, I, I, I checked uh, with several of the Navajos when they were alive. There's a lot of the Navajos that served also in Korean War. They were never pulled together and used for communication. They were just regular radio guys and, and did other communication things. Um, and the same way some of the other tribes, some of the Comanches went back in into Korea, but no, no effort. So part of it was the uh, encryption technology um, uh, had advanced, and, and it just really wasn't needed. I have heard speculation that they thought it wouldn't last very long, and they wanted to, you know, sit on it and kind of save it in case it was needed. But I think really the technology had just simply surpassed it. It was cutting edge for its time, um, but with our technology, it just surpassed it very quickly. Okay. Um, I'm curious. This is Jay. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we've talked a little bit about how um, Native uh, Native Americans were were um, appreciated or treated by uh, their fellow um, soldiers. How did they feel when they came, or how were they treated? I guess when they came back uh, from World War II within the tribes themselves. Oh, uh, spectacularly. Um there was there were uh different tribes have different customs but there was all kinds of parades of dances uh powwows with some groups um some tribes have have cleansing or um uh blessing or cleansing ceremonies like the Navajo enemy way ceremony to cleanse them of that that contact with the enemy and with being around death and dead people um, some groups had Native American church meetings or Christian, but it, uh, to this day, veterans are just it in Native American cultures. They are very, very highly uh, respected, regarded, and uh, that, that, that part of that tradition is still very, very strong, yeah, but treated wonderfully, you know. Okay. Um, so going back to the issue of the, the states, when these GIs get back, and you're saying that there's some states that are still pretty much heavily oppressing them, and then you brought up that uh, there was great decoration for them uh, years down the road. Uh, mm -hmm. When was the turning point? I mean, was it in the 60s or 70s where people started realizing that, you know what, these people were fantastic patriots who made awesome contributions? Or when was that turning point from being in many ways despised to being rightfully recognized? I think, I would say really the 80s. Um, now, there's a, a tremendous amount of Native Americans that, that served in Vietnam, but of course, you know, everybody got a, maybe I shouldn't say everybody, but as a whole, veterans got treated really poorly coming back from Vietnam. 
Um, but in the 80s, there started to be, uh, for example, um, President Reagan signed a Navajo Code Talker Day proclamation in 1982, I think it was, uh, recognizing the Navajo. Other groups slowly in 86 and 89 started recognizing some of their own cone talkers. And from there, it was just kind of like a grassroots movement that sprang. Um, and so I think as, as time went on, um, that began to really turn. And then I think just also, you know, veterans in general, um, there was a period there where, where America was very, very patriotic. And then, like I say, Vietnam kind of, uh, kind of did some damage to that, I think. Not everybody, of course. Um, but in the 80s, there started being more recognition of Native veterans. And then the Navajo got their congressional gold medal in, I think, 2000, 2001. Um, and then the other congressional gold medal for the other Code Talkers came in 2008, the act passed. And, and that's interesting. Both congressional medals that have been awarded. Now, this is not congressional medal of honor. That's a, you know, in-field military action. This is uh, a congressional award. Uh, but both of those awards that have been given to Native Americans have been to the Code Talkers. Okay. Ed. And, uh, yeah, um, I guess one last question here. Um, mm -hmm. the, the relevant documents um, were sort of metered out over time. Um, mm -hmm. At this point, um, have they all, as far as you can tell, have they all been declassified? Uh, pretty, well, again, until we can absolutely search everything digitally. Um, but, but most of them, I think, have. Yeah, the Navajo material was all declassified in 68. Um, some of the groups, and this is kind of another topic, but some of the groups have told me, they said, you know, we were never given orders that you can't talk about this after the war or anything like that. And the Army groups, there's actually many newspaper articles on them while they're actually in training. Um, so there was no secrecy about it with the army about these groups being recruited, training what they're going to do. They spelled it out time and again. Uh, the Navajos did try to keep theirs really, really tight, but there were, I think I found something like 45 news articles between 1943 and 1968 when it was declassified. So it's just something, it's, it's, it's hard, you know, hard to keep it that much under taps, you know. Um, but I think I think most of the documents now. Every now and then, I still will get lucky. Uh, but it's not that things are declassified. It's just that no one has found this document yet. Every now and then, I'll come into a few a few new documents. But um, I think for for the better known groups, we've been through all those divisions files, and we found most of what exists. You know. Okay. We would like to thank our guests for the 404th show, Dr. William Meadows, head of the Missouri State Native American Studies Committee, who talked to us about the Code Talkers legacy. The history buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. You can listen to ROIs. It's being broadcast on Friday nights on KALA HD2, 88.5 and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show. It's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put KALAHD2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard on SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find ROI shows. You can also um, find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. 
ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.